I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Bulwark. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode number 78, take two. <laughs> take two, Mark LaCour. Yeah, uh, we have our technical issues sometimes, don't we? We do, we do. But we have better things to talk about than technical difficulties because we just uh, got off of another fantastic road trip out to Tipro in San Antonio. Yeah, we had such a great time. It was um, uh, great seeing the group of guys out there. They're doing good stuff. It's great to see the optimism, even still in the slow crude price market. But what was even better is, James, you actually did some education, didn't you? Well, you you tell me that I did that I did an all right job. Apparently, there were some light bulbs going off for some people. I couldn't hear from up there. So you want to once you fill me in? Yeah. So James actually was asked to speak in front of the, the uh, Tipro organization about how to combat this anti oil and gas rhetoric in the modern world. Something the oil and gas industry struggles with. And James did a wonderful job of telling a story on how we need to communicate and be more transparent with the people and the media out there, so that the common population understands the facts. And it was really cool because I was uh, brought there to be general labor. I was the cameraman. So, so we recorded <laughs> You this, even so. had Tribe Rocket on your name tag. <laughs> I even had Tribe Rocket on my name tag, right. And so we recorded all this. So eventually, you know, we'll be able to have our listeners see what you did. Um, but it was cool to hear the audience's reaction. As you told the story, they didn't quite put the pieces together, didn't quite put the pieces together. And then there was an aha moment. And I literally had people, I heard them say, wow. And then, oh, my God, yeah, I get it. it while I was recording. So um, great job, James. Um, you know, thanks again to Alan uh, Gilmer and, and the whole Tipro gang for inviting you out there and, and let me come up tag along. It was it was a great road trip. Yes, very, very, very much. Thank you to Alan Gilmer for thinking of me and bringing us out there. It was a fantastic trip and uh, hopefully the first of of many more like it because that I, I that was a first that was a first for this industry really. A trade association bringing bringing anyone in to talk about how we need to be more transparent and more open online. Yeah, and speaking of that, if you have a trade organization or association or a company or a conference or your school, um, James and I would love to jump on the road and come talk. Um, if uh, you have an interest in that, reach out to us directly. Uh, the contact information in the show notes, and we'll we'll discuss the details. Yeah, we would love to do that for y'all. So let's get into this week's stories. We're going to kick things off in Saudi Arabia because they announced apparently record high oil exports in June. And I've heard some some pushback on whether or not it's real, but let's talk about it. Yeah, so I, I believe 100% that this is real. Um, you know, we've talked in past shows how I think what's happening here in the, with the fracking revolution in the U.S. is going to destabilize OPEC. And I think this you're starting to see the beginning. You start, this is a crack. Right in their in their foundation, so what's happening is everybody, including Saudi uh, Aramco in Saudi Arabia, knows that production needs to be scaled back a little bit so prices will go back up. The problem is they're worried about market share, so Iran's coming online, right? And and Saudi uh, uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran are bitter enemies, and Iran's ramping up their production. So if Saudi Arabia cuts back on production, it's going to allow Iran to capture more of that market, and and Saudi Arabia doesn't want to let that happen. So they're increasing production to maintain that market share. Now, that means that the prices aren't going to go back up. Now, Saudi Arabia is tapping into its savings account. And they have a big investment fund to keep their social programs running. Without letting prices go back up, they're not going to be able to put money back into that. And I, I think this is going to lead to the end of OPEC's domination and, as the ability to, um, to control crude prices globally. And so it says that over the course of the next five years, Iran's trying to kick it up to 46 million barrels per day right 
And so that's about half. If they if they get there, they're not there now. They're they're barely at I think two. Uh, but if they get there, that's basically half of what uh, Saudi Arabia can can produce. And Saudi Arabia and and Iran both are sitting on conventional resources, which means it's very cheap for them to get it off the ground. The difference in the cost is Saudi Arabia has these big social programs they have to run, but Iran has to rebuild their country. Um, so it's it's different problems, different financial problems, and um, you know both of these countries are leading, I, I think, to the, the eventual downfall of OPEC. So you have two weeks left, two weeks left until your, until your, um, your prediction expires. So <laughs> where do we sit right now? Uh, we're, we're just nudging 50 uh, right now. Um, the, the market's swinging back up slower than I thought it was. Um, so uh, you know, I'm sticking to my prediction because that's the kind of guy I am. I'm not going to be one of those... Um, market analysts that are going to change their prediction five minutes before it's time. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. <laughs> Look, right? I nailed it. <laughs> yeah, right. That's just not, that's just not how we roll. Um, so, but we will get back to, to 50 to $6 a barrel in the very near future. And I'm still holding out this week into this month. Oh, but I can't remember what, uh, what his name was from Oxy yesterday. And he used that great Mark Twain quote about if you want to predict the future, if you want to be accurate about predicting the future, just do it a lot. Yeah, do it all. Yeah, <laughs> do it all. So, all right, moving over to um, to Asia, and this is analysis for Asian LPG buyers. It's an all-you-can-eat buffet. Yeah, there, there's a glut in the market. We've talked about that before. So, they're talking about LPG, which is liquid propane gas. But this also involves um, um, LNG, liquid natural gas. And and what happens? You have a lot of people producing this stuff. Uh, the U.S. is one of them. Iran's another one. Um, um, you know, there's other countries out there and they're just pushing it on the market. And then, and because of that, there's a glut. Um, and we think that glut's going to last for the rest of this year and for most of 2017. And then that glut will swing the opposite way at the very end of 2017. So, um, you know, as you have in these LNG uh, plants come online, um, you're going to increase the ability to produce, but the market conditions aren't going to drive these LNG plants to, to pursue the Asian market because that was the original target. And like everything else, there was a bunch of money to be made. There's a big price discrepancy. Everybody rushed to get um, uh, LNG over there. And then there's now the glut of the market. And there's a bunch of reasons. One is the there's been a decline in the use of it. Um, and, and the other thing is that exports actually ramped up quicker um, than you thought. And then they talk in here about um, there's a falling rate for uh, uh, VLGC which is a very large gas carriers. And I think we talked about that on one of the previous shows, how they built these huge tankers to carry this LNG cargo around the world. Well, they actually, once again, everybody saw market potential there. They built a bunch of these uh, VLGCs. There's more of them on the market. So then natural market forces cause the rates to go down. So it's just a swing of the pendulum um, driven by the market and it'll swing back the other way uh, somewhere in the future. Is there anything, so in the, in America, obviously we use propane a lot for, heating we used to have a propane tank up in northern michigan when we needed to heat in the summer and then plenty of grilling going on is that what's going on in asia when they use propane or they have any other uses no they, they're actually using it for for fuel to run their lives right they run vehicles on, on, on liquefied natural gas they run uh, electrical generation plants um, they use it to heat water heat their homes so you know we're lucky in the u.s that we have this huge robust infrastructure of both electrical and natural gas delivery methods um, they don't have that in a lot of Asia, right? So it's easier to put uh, gas in a container, you know, a, a tank and move it somewhere because they just don't have the infrastructure to provide electricity or natural gas uh, via pipeline or, or you know, electrical lines. Got it. 
So moving over to the Washington Post, I'm pretty excited about this because I remember when we talked about it on the show, I don't even know, probably within the last three months anyway, which we've had a show so long that it's hard to remember when we did these things anymore. It's, it's crazy. People keep tuning in. Thank you. Um, but I remember when we talked about it before, Mark, you said we need to own this. This is what we need to fix this problem. And this headline is, is very encouraging. So states' efforts to curb fracking-related earthquakes appear to be paying off. Yeah, and I wish they would have not put fracking related, although technically it's correct. Um, fracking does not cause earthquakes. Uh, we had a uh, uh, we talked about this a long time ago, and um, a guy's name was uh, Mike Brudinsky, who's an expert out in the University of Miami on, on uh, wastewater injection earthquake. And um, I actually interviewed him. If, uh, you can go to modalpoint.com and search for earthquakes, and you'll find the interview I did with him. But this is along that same story where they figured out fracking does not increase seismic activity. It's the wastewater injection. And only in certain areas where that wastewater injection well is near natural faults will there be an increase in seismic activity. And so they figured this out, which is awesome. And, and they figured this out from geologists and geophysicists and money from the oil and gas industry working together with the geologists and the federal government and the private sector. And so since they figured this out, we now know how to fix it, which is make sure you do the seismic work before you build a wastewater well to make sure it's not near any fault line. So, you know, this is a great story showing how um, you know the scientists work together. The oil and gas industry funded a whole bunch of the stuff, and they brought their expertise, and we fixed the problem. Right? This is one of the things the public doesn't get a lot of times is this is an industry of engineers, and when we cause a problem, we can figure out how to fix it. And every industry has problems. It's not unique to oil and gas. Um, the thing that's unique is, is I think we step up and we own it, um, and we, we come public with it, and we fix it. So um, good article, uh, kind of surprising. It's actually in the Washington Post, but I'm glad it's in there. Yeah, so, and they're, and they're down uh, quite significantly. It even says that Kansas is feeling a, a quarter of the tremors that it did, and then Oklahoma is down from uh, six to two. And um, it, it, it's, it's a great story. Um, like you said, the USGS came together with a whole bunch of different people, and we just figured it out. And the great news is that this is just the beginning. I'm sure they're, they're going to refine this and get better and better and better at it. Yeah, and one of the things that's going on that's not related to seismic activity, it's related to driving efficiencies in a field, is they're getting away from doing wastewater injection. They're getting, there's new technologies out there to clean that water up to the point that you actually legally can use it to uh, water um, organic crops. That's really clean when you can do it that way. And, and then they, they also reuse it a lot. So um, you know, this is this is as we evolve, as we mature as an industry, this is one of the road bumps that we hit and, and we fixed it and we're going to keep moving forward. Yeah, we'll keep moving forward. OK, so this is a story that I, I mentioned to you yesterday on the ride back from San Antonio, and I was glad to find an update on it. So before I, I, I give the spoiler, let me just read the headline and we'll talk through it. North Dakota pipeline construction halted until court date. Yeah, it's uh, we talked about this yesterday on the uh, ride back from uh, Tipro, and it's um this is a good article. It has a lot of facts in it. Um, this is from Tulsa World, um, and what happened is the Army Corps of Engineers. So so the um, the developers of the this four state pipeline um, went through all the proper permitting and um, approval processes, and part of that process is um, the Army Corps of Engineers, which actually a lot of people know this. They control a lot of they they control the regulation of the waterways in the U.S. Um, so the Army Corps of Engineers had to approve water crossings for these pipelines, right, where you, everybody that's driven anywhere where there's a creek or river sees the cement bridge built with a blue pipeline uh, strapped to the top of it. It's a water crossing for a pipeline. And the, their, um, 
what's happening is the 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 Indian tribe there, the the Rock Sioux tribe, is suing the federal regulators for approving the oil pipeline crossings because they come within a mile of of some of their properties, and they're worried about water contamination, which is what they're saying. Um, that they're <laughs> what I think is going on is they're trying to get leverage the the uh, developing companies for more money because. A, a pipeline is much more safe for the water table than hauling it by rail or by truck, which is going on now. So we kind of watch and see where this goes. Um, there's been um, some peaceful protests by the tribes, mainly the tribes' younger people. They they put together a petition with 140,000 signatures um, to stop the Corps from approving these water line crossings. But um, you know this needs to be done. This is part of the infrastructure. We're not hurting the tribe or or even tr- touching their property. Um, and, and like I said, I, I think this is just somebody trying to leverage a large company for, for money. Yeah. So just a little background on this. Well, first of all, I, I really have a great love for the tribes because my brother, my oldest brother lives on a, on a reservation actually in Washington, the state of Washington. So I'm not insensitive to that, but also the thing that when I brought this up to you, Mark, I, I mentioned that I'm seeing a lot of memes in in different stories that are showing up because it's it's being portrayed as if the big evil oil companies just went out there and decided that they were just going to run roughshod over whatever they wanted to do and build this pipeline and that's that's the way it's being portrayed you see these these pictures of of the the uh, the native americans protesting you know they're on horseback in front of a huge line of state police and and again we're portrayed as you know, the big evildoers that just showed up, like there was no planning that went into this at all. Yeah, and it's not true. This thing was announced two years ago, 2014. It doesn't even touch the Indian, the tribe's uh, land. It just comes within a mile of it. They went through all the proper processes, uh, procedures, approval contracts. And I'm telling you, in today's world, a modern pipeline is one of the safest way to move anything. So not just crude oil, natural gas, things like cooking oil, diesel fuel, you know, gasoline, kerosene, well, let's move by pipelines in this country. And, and like I said, I just, this just reeks to me of somebody trying to leverage the developers for money. So for anybody that doesn't know, because you made a really great point when we were uh, speaking and talking about this yesterday, can you talk us through the process of right of way? Yeah. So what happens, you can't just go build a pipeline. No more different than you, you and James and I can't just go out and go start building a house somewhere. I mean, it doesn't work that way. So every state that this pipeline is going to be put in there's approval process and part of that's they have to work out the right-of-ways and the right-of-way is basically what it says where is the um the land that the pipeline can go on that is the safest way to the public that then the pipeline company has to buy they don't just build it they don't just they're not giving them they have to buy all this land and there's um approval processes literally from the local level the state level the federal level and in this case, even the Army Corps of Engineers for the water crossings. So, you know, this is a long, thought-out, well-documented process that two years later, after it started, the tribe protest. And it, and it's just, you know, and, and a lot of our listeners may not know this, but if you walk outside and you have power lines that you can see, those are right-of-ways, too. Those power line companies had to buy that land. They had to permit it. And this is no different. Yeah, and so the point that I'm really trying to trying to make here is the fact that anytime you see, see protests like this, it it's always portrayed again that we're just showing up and ruining everything when there have been hundreds and thousands of people involved in the process for a long time and you're getting to the final mile, I guess you could say of, or of some in, in some way. And yeah. all of a sudden, you know, you're getting this pushback, but it, this has been going on for a while. Yeah. And we're not ruining things. This is making things better, right? This is jobs. 
This is a more environmentally responsible way to move products around the country. Um, this is a way for the state to actually have more revenue because trust me, that pipeline company is paying taxes in those states. So th this is actually making things better. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move over because um, speaking of better, I really liked this headline from Seeking Alpha. ConocoPhillips Q2 is a bright flash of light from the end of the tunnel. Go Conoco, they're kicking butt and taking names. Do it. <laughs> yeah, so they're just at the point of what they call cash flow neutral neutrality, which in this low crude price market, that's actually pretty cool. That's basically meaning that the same amount of money they have coming in is what's going out. And then in the future, they're gonna have something called FCF generation, which is free cash, cash flow. So, um, you know, total transparency, I'm a stockholder of ConocoPhillips. They do good stuff. They know what they're doing. Um, they're um, doing well in this low crude price uh, environment. Um, you know, they've looked into other parts of their portfolio. They're, um, you know, working on, on Bitman and uh, natural gas liquids. Um, they have some big projects out there. Um, you know, they have some joint ventures and all of these things are, are profitable. And then they're pulling out of this low crude price environment quicker than a lot of the bigger uh, companies out there. So what are some of those big projects they're working on? So they have a, a, this joint venture, and it's called, um, it's called FCCL. And that's basically, um, it's the, uh, uh, in the oil sands up in Canada, that's Foster Creek, Christian Lake, and Narrow Lake projects. So they're, they're in the oil sands, and they're actually being able, been able to lower the cost. And oil sands, if you, you might listen, is one of the most expensive ways to get oil out of the ground. So if they're able to lower the cross on these big oil sands projects, there's a market for that heavy crude here in the U.S. And so they're, they're thinking ahead and they're putting money and uh, engineering expertise into a part of the industry that a lot of people um, thought was dead. Um, and they're also, you know, working really hard on, on LNG because, like I said in the previous um, um, article we read, LNG will come back in the next year or two or whatever. And Conoco will be right there uh, to capitalize on that. So I just got to give Mark props for anybody listening. There is not an explanation of what that acronym means in this article. So I don't know how you pull these things off the top of your head, Mark. Well, I don't, I don't get them. I don't always get them right. Um, but you know, when you're in this industry and when you're doing market research, like we do for our clients, we have to kind of stay on top of at least the high level of what's going on. So some of the stuff I know, and quite honestly, sometimes I don't know it and, and I'll be the first to admit it. So what do you think has, or what do you know ConocoPhillips has done to bring about this, this, this really great news of being cash flow neutral. Um, they've exited uh, some of the businesses that weren't doing well, like everybody else has. They've dumped some assets which weren't prime. The thing that ConocoPhillips does is they they can drive efficiencies like a small company can, but at an enterprise scale, and that's that's kind of rare. Um, and and you know they they do a very good job of looking forward, and and they've done a very good job of looking forward for for quite a while now. So they're you know they're on that path to free cash flow. Um, that's going to drive dividends. Um, investors uh, were a little upset because the uh, dividends were cut a while back. But you know what? <laughs> we're in a $40 barrel market. And so these, these companies had to. Uh, so from, a, from a, a stock ownership or from an investor side, everybody's looking for that free cash flow to start happening again. So those dividends go back up. So the share value goes back up. And it's coming. Are they active at all in shale? Yeah. Oh, by far. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, uh, and, and once again, though, they figured out where their sweet spots are, what basins they like. Um, and which ones they don't, and they've exited from the ones that weren't, um, you know, uh, uh, core to their business and, and capitalize on the ones that were, and then started building infrastructure in this low price, crude price market, pipelines, and, you know, we talked about water recycling just a minute ago. They've done a lot of work to recycle water and build a lot of infrastructure so they can move that water in pipelines instead of in trucks. So they're, 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 they're doing it right. So we don't have a story about this, but one thing again about Oxy that I learned yesterday about their, their zero 
their zero layoff pledge. Yeah, wasn't that cool? That was amazing. <laughs> that was just an amazing presentation. First woman CEO in American oil and gas company and the zero layoff pledge. That was just fascinating to me. And, yeah, and the yeah. thing about he, 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 to the point that you were just making about exiting and finding their sweet spots, that's exactly what Oxy is doing. They exited California for the, <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, and they're taking all this B grade acreage, C grade acreage and offloading that and upgrading to tier one, he was saying. I thought it was cool that they thought about it differently. This industry typically, when there's a the pendulum swings to low crude price environment, lays people off. And Oxy said, you know what? We're not laying people off. We'll take our engineers that are in office and we'll go make them do field work, which eventually will make them better engineers, but we're keeping them employed. So they Oxy realized, and I'm starting to see this, I've seen this in this downturn more than I've ever seen before, but these companies are realizing that if they really want to rock and roll, they know the price could come back. Hang on to your talent. Do whatever you can to hang on to those people because you're not going to be able to hire when the price comes back. And the companies that do the best job of hanging on to that talent are going to surge ahead of all their competition when the prices go back up. Yeah, and, and it's, it's absolutely right. I mean, he, he was absolutely right. You, you don't learn anything better than being in the field. They, even just the one offshore trip that we made with the young professionals, the API, it, just seeing these things in person once changes everything. And I can only imagine what it does for you when you're actually an engineer out there doing the work every day in the field. Yep, nothing, nothing better than on-the-job training. All right, we're going with uh, with Seeking Alpha a second time. Ensco total total sorry terminates the Ensco DS seven working in Angola over a year earlier. Yeah, so uh, Ensco basically had uh, Total, which is one of their clients, and Ensco is, is a, a drill ship operator. Total terminate one of their contracts, which is not good for Ensco. Although Ensco did get like uh, two hundred million dollar cancellation fee on the policy. It's interesting if you read through this, um, one of the things they talk about is that Total uh, implemented or used the uh, uh, cancellation on convenience, termination on convenience clause in the contract. And that was actually surprising to me. So we have that in our contracts so that e both Modal Point or our client can cancel our contract at any time just for convenience because I don't want somebody locked in if they don't want to do business with me. And I don't want to do business. Sometimes I don't want to do business with people. So I want out of the contract too. But it's amazing that something that's this big financially. Uh, they would have that clause in there. So um, Total's uh, 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 canceling the contract for the drill ship, it's the DS7, which means that DS7s can be back on the market. Um, Total's paying the cancellation fees. Uh, Insco is, um, um, you know, this is not a great time to be a, a deep water drill ship operator. Insco's doing okay. I'm sure they're really not happy that Total canceled this, which means that they could try to get this drill ship under contract as quickly as possible, which means if you're an operator out there, you probably could pick it up for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, it's interesting. The uh, the bar graph that they have here showing 15 through 16, and it's got kind of a, a downward sloping curve, but it looks like Q2, it, it went up. So hopefully that's just going to head in the right direction. Yeah, it's um, the, the, the day rates have, have been driven down a lot across globally for the drill ships out there, but it sort of needed to. And, and what happened is the smart companies that saw this coming got rid of their older, shallower water, lower horsepower drill ships and uh, spent the money, even it was low crude price market coming to have higher horsepower, deeper operating drill ships because that's what operators are willing to pay for because they can drill quicker. So it's um it, it, this downturn kind of cleaned up the um, the old stuff in in the the, uh, the drilling contractors out there, and so they're going to come out of this with faster, more nimble freights and 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 better day rates. It talks about how there was a bubble in deep water can you talk me through that a little bit <laughs> oh god that was crazy that's back when oil was a hundred dollars a barrel 
these drill ships were getting three or four times what they should have gotten. There was actually a waiting list. There wasn't enough drill ships out there. And so what happened, once again, there was a market um, a driver. So companies started investing money in building these modern drill ships, which then flooded the market. <laughs> At the same time, the price of crude fell. So that bubble burst. You had more competition, more drill ships out there, less people wanting to spend money in deep water because the price of crude was so low. So you had that bubble and it burst. And like every economic bubble, you know, companies suffer, people lose their jobs, which we hate to see. But when you come out of it, the industry as a whole, in this case, the, the drill ship operators, um, they come out cleaner and meaner and, and more nimble. And it's, it's long-term wise, it's, it's better for the industry. So this is a story. The next one was one we talked about just last week. Um, but I wanted to get your take on the, not the fallout, but sort of wrapping things up and moving forward for Williams Partners in the Chesapeake deal. So William Part, Williams Partners announces new agreements as Chesapeake sells Barnett Shale assets. Yeah, so what's interesting about this, and we talked about this earlier, but if you read through this, you're seeing that Williams is realizing the uh, potential catastrophic market they may be entering because of these legal issues. And so before all this started to happen, Williams would fight tooth and nail to let an operator out of their contract because that's not how business is done. Now Williams is starting to see that this may be more and more of a reality. So what they're doing is they're letting, in this case, Chesapeake out without really any type of fines or, or whatever because Chesapeake helped them find somebody else to pick up that contract. So now Williams is looking at this different, like, okay, I may have some churn, which normally we have no churn, but um, what I will do is, is I will help that, that company get out of this if they can find me somebody else that will agree to commit to that same contract. So um, this is changing the way Williams is starting to look at doing business. And that's a subtle thing that you may not get when you read this article, but it's actually pretty big. Yeah. So for anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the continued, um, I don't know, the way things are moving forward between pipeline companies and operators. Well, it's, yeah, there's two court cases that, that are in, still in court that haven't been decided yet. And, you know, we've talked about this a million times, so I'll do it really quickly. But basically, the pipeline companies make their money by finding a constraint in the market, going out and pre-selling access to that pipeline, signing long-term contracts. And in the contracts, even if the company, the operator, the upstream guy uh, goes out of business, the pipeline company is still entitled to their money. And so this allows them to raise the, the CapEx funds, build the pipeline, and then they, these long-term contracts pay for everything. And when the contracts are, are over with, the pipeline is now paid for, and they start making good money. And what's happened is they have two court cases right now where two operators are suing or not suing, but to, or asking the courts to allow them out of their long-term contracts. And if they do that, if the courts agree, it's going to fundamentally change the financials of the midstream, the pipeline companies here in the U.S. And it's going to be, um, they're going to have to figure out another way to make money. So this is a story that we're keeping our eye on because it, it has the potential to fundamentally change part of the midstream business here in the U.S. It's really interesting, though. Like you said, they're noticing, taking notice of the environment that they're headed toward. And as a result, they're what, giving a sublease, I guess you could say, in a way. Yeah, they're, they're more open to that. And, and that's, that's good, right? That's progress. Um, and I don't know where these court cases are going to go. And, and I can't figure out what side I, I, I side with because I see both sides of it. You know, the upstream companies want to stay in business. They want to keep their people employed. So does the pipeline company, though, right? And so, um, you know, for me, when you sign a contract, you've had, that was your chance to negotiate. And, and, you can always go back to the contract holder and renegotiate the contract if they're open to it. But I really think you should I mean, just bottom line you should keep to your contractual commitments. So uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this. All right. I can't wait for this next one. Let's geek out or at least uh, let me put your feet to the fire and see how deep we can go into this before you admit that uh, you're tapped out. But rotating solid expendable liner solves issues in high angle directional wells. 
Yeah. So when you when you have the modern wells, which are deep, um, they're they 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 go horizontal, so they have angles. Actually, a lot of times they steer them around uh, different uh, geological formations. And what happens is you have to case that well. Well, when you drill a three hundred foot well, you can case that well that day. When you drill a ten thousand foot well, you can't case it that day. And so what happens is that well bore stays open and it starts to un- destabilize. So just think if you dug a very deep hole in the ground, like very deep. But it was just a hole in the ground. Eventually, that mud and that dirt and that sand would start to want to cave in, and it would make that hole smaller, right? Right. Right. So what happens is when you go try to case it, you can't get your casing in there because the casing's a bigger diameter than what – are the casings the right size to fit in the original drill hole? So what this is an article about is about some tools um, called solid expandable. And what they do is they basically go down on the drill stream and they expand. And so they push that dirt, that soil, that rock, whatever, back where it should be so you can get the original casing in there and this article gets very um, technical about the applications of 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 of, uh, solid expandables but one of the things they touch on is and we talk about this all the time is is actually a cultural issue so expandables have been used forever in verticals but a lot of people a lot of engineers didn't really think they would work well uh in in a horizontal or where where you have that that angle and that well bore and the truth is they work very well there and so they're starting to realize they can stabilize that well bore in case that even on uh, uh, you know, high angle, uh, uh, um, high angle uh, drill holes. So, good article. If you want to really geek out on something that's a very small subset of this industry, you can do it. But it, it shows what our engineers are able to do. Imagine being able to to make that hole that you dug two miles, right, ten thousand feet, and push everything back out so the casing just slips in place. Here's a tool that does just that. I just love how detailed this article gets because it, it, all of these different subheadings are just, man, you're in the weeds. <laughs> First rotating SET liner system, E-S-E-T-R-N-D, external coatings, um, solves problems, formation change in ledges, cutting cuttings build up, all this. I, I don't know. You can spend the day. You can spend the whole yeah, day. And you know, yeah. And, you know, if you're listening to our podcast and you're not in the oil and gas industry or if you're a new listener – and you want to see what really goes on behind the scenes. We don't just drill a hole in the ground and get oil. This is unbelievably complex engineering with very unique tool sets and processes to fix problems that you can't see that are you know, yeah, two you, miles that's, below that's the That's a earth. great point. You can't and, see them. And we do it unbelievably well. And, and actually, they can see it. Now, there's a bunch of uh, new technology out there that allows them to see either thermally or three, 3D uh, seismic or sometimes actual uh, video what they're doing. But they... I mean, it's just the, the amount of stuff that goes down a well, the amount of tools, the amount of technology is crazy. This is why I say this industry makes, and pardon, you know, my, you know I'm not insulting my NASA friends out there, but this industry makes NASA scientists like a bunch of Lego builders. <laughs> Lego builders. All right, let's move over to um, to Sitin C's oil and gas industry resurgence because we saw him out at NAEP, and he's doing a great job of, of I don't guess, breathing some hope into this industry. Yeah, I love this guy. Um, I try to get uh, an interview. By the way, we're talking about Ryan Sitton, the Texas Railroad Commissioner. Yeah, and if if you're not in Texas, the Railroad Commission is what controls the rules and regulations around oil and gas in Texas. It's a long story. (laughs) Go Google if you want to see. But um, it's it's a great story. And so he's actually talking in Pasadena, and he's talking about the resurgence and the growth of the petrochemical industry, which I think somebody on this show has been saying this for a couple years now. and so he, he's talking about the jobs that are being created, the infrastructure that's going in, um, the, how the economy is growing. And he actually has some good statistics in here. 
if Texas, if you took Texas out of the U.S. and made it its own country, which there's actually some Texans that want that to happen, <laughs> it would it, it would be the eleventh largest economy in the world. Think about that. Eleventh. Eleventh. Texas has a bigger economy than almost every country out there, right? And then if you um if if you look at the the uh, oil and gas jobs, indirect jobs, it's um it makes us uh, around one third of the world's largest economy from a job point of view. So, I mean, it's just crazy what our industry has done in a state that's pro-business. Um, and, and he, he goes through, um, you know, what do you think the future predictions are, are happening? You know, right now in Texas, about 400,000, that's 400,000 jobs are directly, uh, credit to the oil and gas industry. It's 40% um, of the Texas economy. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it's, it's, you know, this is a good guy running a good organization and looking at things in a modern productive way and realizing that if you make things easier for the businesses to be successful, it provides prosperity to everybody, not just people in the industry, you know, people that cut hair, the grocery stores, hotels, people that build education, houses. Education, 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 you know, medical. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And, and I'm not, I don't want to harp on Texas because I live here, but, you know, we just do a darn good job with this sort of stuff. We do do a darn good job. And I didn't throw in into the links, but I, I do want to take a moment because you are from Louisiana and just mentioned that we really need to pray for all of our brothers and sisters that are suffering in Louisiana. And I don't know if you find the right people to give some money to because they need prayers and help. Yeah, it's, I'm going to end up tearing up on this show just talking about it. I had a, actually drove through it accidentally. I took my son back to Louisiana on Thursday, didn't look at the weather, and I had to drive through the worst flooding in the state in 500 years to get home, and it took me forever to get home. But uh, there are parts of Louisiana that, you know, I grew up there, and in 50 years, I've never seen uh, parts that flooded. And then the thing that I'm a little concerned with, this is worse than, than any of the hurricanes. This is worse than Katrina. And um, we don't see a big, I don't see a big federal government response to this. And so the people in Louisiana, they call them the Cajun Navy. The actual people are doing this, right? They're getting their boats and they're buying bottled water and they're buying food and they're going to these people that are trapped and they're getting them on land. They're rescuing dogs and horses and, you know, hats off to the people of Louisiana because So hats off to people losing there because when it chips it down, they, they get in there to get their boots on and they get it done. They do. Props to the Cajun Navy. Oh, man, it's a, it's a heavy story. And, and like I said, find the right organization, whether it's the Red Cross or, or whatever. Pray for these guys and, and get them the help that they need. Um, hard to transition, but I'm going to do my best with the Weekly Onion. Um, definitely an inside, inside joke for the Catholics. <laughs> but, um, grandmother doesn't care for new priest. And, and I will actually laugh at this because I, I live this <laughs> when my grandmother rest her soul. Um, she got when the, one of their priests, the priests in her local parish retired. Cause he was like 70 something years old and they got a new priest that was like in his thirties. She did not like him. And, and I remember her, it's like, you know, you really, he's the priest of your local church, you know? But, so I've, I've lived this and it's, um, so this is actually kind of funny. <laughs> it is kind of funny. She didn't even know what to think about what the new priest Christmas mass would be like. <laughs> So, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard that conversation uh, more than once. All right, Bulwark has a winner, um, and I'm pretty excited about our winner for this week, Mark. So why don't you fill us in? So this is cool. So this is Kyle Clint. Uh, he's on, on the contingent response team um, of the U.S. Air Force. So I think this is one of our first military. It's the first military winners. winner, yeah. Yeah, and, and Kyle, look, as a former uh, uh, Marine, uh, let me just tell you, I thank you for your service. Um, but you've won it. You've won the Bulwark long sleeve FR two tone base layer. You could be the jealous. All the everybody in your um, 
and your squad's gonna be jealous that you're wearing this. You may um you may have to step out of your uh, uniform. <laughs> you have to wear this under your uniform, uh, so you'll you won't get um, penalized for it. But um, you know, this is awesome that somebody in the U.S. Air Force is listening to our show. And I'd actually I'd like to know how many people in the military are listening to our show. If you get a chance, reach out to us. Let us know. Uh, we have a very uh, special place in both our hearts for our, our soldiers out there. Um, but you know, Bulwark is the world's largest provider of flame resistant clothing. They're huge. They've been doing this for 45 years. And because they're so large, they have the ability to get you anything you need, any color, any style, anywhere in the world. So if you or your company or your group, or, or in this case, um, um, the airmen, uh, need FR clothing, look at Bulwark. They do a great job, and, and they, they're, uh, um, you know, we really appreciate their sponsorship of our show. We very much, very much appreciate it. I do have to make one correction there, Mark. You called yourself a former Marine. We all know that that's a permanent condition. You don't get over that one. <laughs> no. So you never say you're an ex-Marine. You said so. I, I, yeah. So, so you're right, though, right? So I signed up forever. If if me and you know everybody else that served in the Corps, if if the chips were down, if we had foreign boots in our soul, we would do what we have to do. We'd get back up. My fifty-one year old butt would <laughs> go find a <laughs> rifle somewhere. <laughs> um, you know, and that, that's it's something that's different about the Marine Corps. It's actually it's kind of funny if if you think about it. If you drive through the country. It's rare that you see somebody flying a flag from the Army or the Coast Guard or the Air Force, but the darn Marines have fly the Marine flag 25 years after they wow. served. It's um, Devil dogs. It's, it's my, brother, yeah, my brothers and sisters out there. But anyway, um, back to Bulwark. Great company. Speaking of military, they actually support a lot of the military as well. Um, but if you want one of these really cool uh, two-tone base layers, you need to go to bulwark.com forward slash podcast. That's B-U-L-W-A-R-K.com forward slash podcast. Fill out your information. You get thrown in the bucket, and we pull one lucky winner every week. Um, and so, you know, do it, and we will see if we have your name on the show next week. Yeah, definitely. All right, and then moving on to our events on deck, we've got an SPE webinar coming up. Yes, we do. <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's work on your soft skills, Mark. <laughs> yeah, so this is, this is the um, SPA soft skills workshop. So if um, you know, I tease my engineer buddies, but you know, in this lower crew price environment, everybody in our industry is having to do more. So if if you think that uh, working on your soft skills would help you in your job and help you in your career, go check this thing out. Um, it's free. It's a webinar, and 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 they they're looking at this not only just as an individual, but also what what soft skills do your team need. So um, you know, let your coworkers know about this. Like I said, it's free. It's a webinar. Now I'll tell you something that's funny. So James pulls this out of my monthly oil and gas events newsletter. And when I list this, I always put dress, right? So you need to dress business casual or, or business or whatever. And when I do webinars, I put whatever you want. And that never fails that somebody replies back to me and has an issue with that. And, and I had it happen here too. And it's like, you're they at did home. It, it happened I, again? Or, it, yeah, it, it happens almost every time. This, I'm not sure if they don't read that it's a webinar or maybe I have people on my list that are, are older and maybe they don't <laughs> I don't I love know what it. it was. Yeah, See, but, just as you were saying that, I'm I'm thinking, Mark, we've used this before, but I didn't realize that people do it all the time. No, it, it happens almost every time I send this out and it says dress whatever you want, somebody will say something. And it's just, you know, it, I find it funny. Um, if you're that person, if you're listening and, and you have an a issue with me saying wear whatever you want when you go to a webinar, let me know why. Because maybe I'm just not understanding what's going on. Yeah, well, maybe we, I'll, I'll look at the copy. Maybe there's tweaking. But real quick, for anybody that doesn't know, can you define soft skills for us? Yeah, so that's your ability to listen, to interact, to, um, uh, to provide feedback in a, a productive way, uh, to have empathy. It's all the stuff, all the nonverbal stuff that, or inverbal stuff that goes on when you communicate. 
that basically greases the wheels of business, right? Things that make it easier to have conversations to get things done. And it soft skills are something that you can that you're born with, with with either, you know, you're really good at it or you're not, but you can also develop it like any other skill set. So if you know if you're out there and you think your soft skills need some work, and let me tell you, really everybody soft skills, you, you could spend time working on it because the better you get at it, um, the better it works out for both you and your company. All right, tell us about the 2016 Cat Cracker Seminar. Doesn't that sound bad? Like that's something like <laughs> that. Something really, I don't know. We've been talking about Caterpillar a lot. So I'm thinking, okay, is Caterpillar involved or are they actually, you know, some people doing yeah. bad things to cats or there's some some honkies in there doing some cracker things? Anyway, <laughs> moving yeah. on. Yeah, if, if you're a member of the Humane Society, listen, this we're not doing anything to cats, to felines. So this is a, a seminar for people that are in the refining business that want to understand catalytic crackers, right? Which is part of the refining business. And so, um, you know, th- these are big units, they're very expensive, very capex intensive. And this is a, 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 a form, an exhibition to showcase the latest uh, technology advances in equipment, catalysts, uh, refractories, um, you know, maintenance, diability, diagnostics, reliability, all that sort of stuff. So if you're in that refining world, that big refining world, this is actually very unique. I don't think I've ever seen a seminar just on cat, on cat crackers. So this is very niche, which means everybody in that room will be one of your peers. So go check this out. Gosh, I, I feel like I need to get there now. All right, so that's um, next uh, Tuesday and Wednesday at the Royal Sinesta Hotel. And then we have the first Friday Q&A, which is only two weeks away, Mark. Yeah, if you want to know something about the industry, let us know. All right, take your earbuds, plug it in your phone, uh, record an audio message, send it to James. He loves getting audio messages, I love questions it. from people. Yeah, and, and you can also go to the website. You can also hit our, our links in the, uh, in the show notes. But anything you want to know, let us know. It's become our most popular segment of the show, and it's right around the corner. It's right around the corner. And let's get into our reviews because this first one, oh, my goodness, I'm loving it. All right. I'm not in the oil industry. I was just talking about this yesterday. <laughs> um, actually, no, I was talking about this at National Oil Well Varco, um, who I had the honor of training on uh, with their marketing team on Monday and Tuesday it was a phenomenal group of people, by the way, big shout out to everyone at NOV because they are, they're game changers. They're so far ahead of their competition. It's not even, it's not even fair, honestly, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. But so I'm not in the oil industry, but if I would have heard this podcast in high school, I probably would have veered my education that way. These guys are excited about their topics and work great together. The info they give us, uh, they give is said in a manner that is easy to understand and they are not too serious that the podcast gets dull five stars someone not in the industry love this e-guy thanks for uh, taking the time to give us a review we both sincerely appreciate this especially since you're not in the industry yeah especially since you're not in the industry and then look at kevin chiming in you know everybody should not wait until they win to write a review right mark (laughs) yeah this is Kevin. So Kevin Hyatt, he won last week. So thank you very much for this, Kevin. It's um, op- He's an operations manager, five stars, great podcast for all levels of, the, of oil and gas um, from the FNG or older time on the pad to the executive signing the checks. James and Mark will keep the information flowing and unspin the news to pull out nuggets of value each week. Keep up the great work. Looking forward to episodes leading up to and through the next boom. Yeah, so are we. Yeah, definitely. Big time. No, it's that's gonna be exciting times. New technology, new process. There's gonna be money. So yeah, we're excited too. But hey, Kevin, once again, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to leave the review. Definitely, definitely. Thank you for that five stars. And then Cole Barron's five stars. Keep on keeping on. Hey guys, my name is Matt uh, Hager from, um, and I am an oil, natural gas, and coal attorney in Eastern Kentucky. 
Eastern Kentucky. I do mostly upstream work, including title abstracts and leasing. I'm a regular listener and have been listening for about six months. I um, I have listened to almost all of the old shows, and I love the first Friday Q&As. There you go, Mark. See, we're not just making that up. And I would like to see um, Q&As expanded to twice a month or to point five episodes. Weren't we just talking about that, Mark? And we were just talking. We were about just that, talking. So about this, like, he's reading yeah. our minds over here. Uh, or maybe 0.25 episodes. <laughs> Thanks for that. I would like to hear more about uh, shale and conventional plays in particular, which plays are hot and which are not. Thanks, guys. And keep on keeping on. Man. Yes. Great, great review, Matt. Thank you so much. And Matt, we have another show in the works that's literally talking about the plays. We just can't talk about it yet, but trust me, it's coming. It's coming. We're, we've got a lot of things in in the in the pipeline, which leads up naturally to talk about LinkedIn, Mark, because that's the first place that they'll find out. Yeah, if you want to know what's happening with us, what the new when the new shows come out, the first place they're going to be uh, talked about will be on our LinkedIn group. So if you listen to podcasts, go take the two minutes, go sign up for a LinkedIn group. It's not called oil and gas this week it's called oil and gas global network and it's called that for a reason and you will learn what that reason is very soon and then it's all your peers right everybody listens to show other people in the oil and gas industry i see a lot of people help each other there's a lot of interaction so take a couple minutes sign up you'll be glad you did that's at tribrocket.com forward slash linkedin mark can you can you tell everybody what the show notes are about and how they can find the story so they don't email me <laughs> sorry yeah, yeah so no 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 so this is actually a really good point everything we talk about we have show notes. It's, it's basically a blog post, so you can read it. So the links are there so you can click on it. You don't have to write notes while you're listening to podcasts at the gym or while you're driving. And Lord, please don't be writing notes while you're driving. Um, but it's it's a companion to the show, so you can go back and see everything we've done. You can access everything. James and I's contacts information there, and it's a simple click instead of you having to type stuff on your keyboard. So every show has a unique format. So in this case, it's going to be what, James? It's tribrocket.com forward slash TW78. Yeah, so you just type that into your browser. You'll go straight there. You can also go to uh, uh, tribrocket.com and, and find the show notes on the website, too. It, it's, you know, it takes all 10 seconds, but it's a great resource, and uh, anything you want from the show is there, so you don't have to reach out to James and I and take three or four days to get your answer. Yeah, definitely. And if you want to share the show, please do so. You can go at tribrocket.com forward slash T-W-L-I. takes us straight to LinkedIn forward slash T-W. I'm sorry, share L-I. For tribrocket.com forward slash share li straight to linkedin forward slash share tw for twitter and forward slash share fb for facebook mark i've got a hard stop i know you got some things to get into you ready to go yeah so folks do great work pay it forward and we will see you next time go find some grease guys doing it wrong mark oh you know we i actually am doing it wrong because you had to let me know yesterday that when i was posting stuff to facebook it was going to two people (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, me and your wife thank god you caught that and neither one of y'all would comment on any of my stuff shame on both of y'all